Hello and welcome. My name is Bridget and I want to thank you for being here and I also want to invite you to please head over to thetruthaboutliving.com that is thetruthaboutliving.com where you will find information about scheduling something that I specialize in which is guided revision work for you. Guided revision work according to how Neville Goddard taught it. Now it takes two to three sessions to go through the whole process, but the results are phenomenal. If you've ever felt like you've done revision work on your own, or you've struggled to do revision work on your own, finding a scene, pinpointing the right thing to revise, reworking the scene, going through it in your mind, looping it, feeling like you've, you've done it all on your own and maybe having doubts about it, Working with me through this process removes all of that. We get really clear together and I guide you through the new imaginal scenes as well. So take advantage of this. This is a beautiful thing you can do for yourself. Thetruthaboutliving.com is where you can find me or you can email me directly at Bridget at thetruthaboutliving.com. My name is spelled B-R-I-D-G-E-T-T at thetruthaboutliving.com. Please enjoy the podcast. The Power of Awareness Chapter 23 Case Histories It would be extremely helpful at this point to cite a number of specific examples of the successful application of this law actual case histories are given. In each of these, the problem is clearly defined and the way imagination was used to attain the required state of consciousness is fully described. In each of these instances, the author of this book was either personally concerned or was told the facts by the person involved. One, this is a story with every detail of which I am personally familiar. In the spring of 1943, a recently drafted soldier was stationed in a large army camp in Louisiana. He was intensely eager to get out of the army, but only in an entirely honorable way. The only way he could do this was to apply for a discharge. The application then required the approval of his commanding officer to become effective. Based on Army regulations, the decision of the commanding officer was final and could not be appealed. The soldier, following all the necessary procedure, applied for a discharge. Within four hours, this application was returned, marked, disapproved. Convinced he could not appeal the decision to any higher authority, military or civilian, he turned within to his own consciousness, determined to rely on the law of assumption. The soldier realized that his consciousness was the only reality, that his particular state of consciousness determined the events he would encounter. That night, in the interval between getting into bed and falling asleep, he concentrated on consciously using the law of assumption. In imagination, he felt himself to be in his own apartment in New York City. He visualized his apartment, that is, in his mind's eye, he actually saw his own apartment, mentally picturing each one of the familiar rooms with all the furnishings vividly real. With this picture clearly visualized and lying flat on his back, he completely relaxed physically. In this way, he induced a state bordering on sleep, at the same time retaining control of the direction of his attention. When his body was completely immobilized, he assumed that he was in his own room and felt himself to be lying in his own bed, a very different feeling from that of lying on an army cot. In imagination, he rose from the bed, walked from room to room, touching various pieces of furniture. He then went to the window and with his hands resting on the sill, looked out on the street on which his apartment faced. So vivid was all this in his imagination that he saw in detail the pavement, 
the railings, the trees, and the familiar red brick of the building on the opposite side of the street. He then returned to his bed and felt himself drifting off to sleep. He knew that it was most important in the successful use of this law that at the actual point of falling asleep, his consciousness be filled with the assumption that he was already what he wanted to be. All that he did in imagination was based on the assumption that he was no longer in the army. Night after night, the soldier enacted this drama. Night after night, in imagination, he felt himself honorably discharged back in his home, seeing all the familiar surroundings and falling asleep in his own bed. This continued for eight nights. For eight days, his objective experience continued to be directly opposite to his subjective experience and consciousness each night before going to sleep. On the ninth day, orders came through from battalion headquarters for the soldier to fill out a new application for his discharge. Shortly after this was done, he was ordered to report to the colonel's office. During the discussion, the colonel asked him if he was still desirous of getting out of the army. Upon receiving an affirmative reply, the colonel said that he personally disagreed, and while he had strong objections to approving of the discharge, he had decided to overlook these objections and to approve it. Within a few hours, the application was approved, and the soldier, now a civilian, was on a train bound for home. Two. This is a striking story of an extremely successful businessman demonstrating the power of imagination and the law of assumption. I know this family intimately, and all the details were told to me by the son described herein. The story begins when he was 20 years old. He was next to the oldest in a large family of nine brothers and one sister. The father was one of the partners in a small merchandising business. In his 18th year, the brother referred to in this story left the country in which they lived and traveled 2,000 miles to enter college and complete his education. Shortly after his first year in college, he was called home because of a tragic event in connection with his father's business. Through the mechanisms of his associates, the father was not only forced out of his business, but was the object of false accusations impugning his character and integrity. At the same time, he was deprived of his rightful share in the equity of the business. The result was he found himself largely discredited and was almost penniless. It was under these circumstances that the son was called home from college. He returned, his heart filled with one great resolution. He was determined that he would become outstandingly successful in business. The first thing he and his father did was to use the little money they had to start their own business. They rented a small store on a side street, not far from the large business of which the father had been one of the principal owners. There, they started a business bent upon real service to the community. It was shortly thereafter that the son, with instinctive awareness that it was bound to work, deliberately used imagination to attain an almost fantastic objective. Every day, on the way to and from work, he passed the building of his father's former business, the biggest business of its kind in the country. It was one of the largest buildings, with the most prominent location in the heart of the city. On the outside of the building was a huge sign on which the name of the firm was painted in large, bold letters. Day after day, as he passed by, a great dream took shape in the son's mind. He thought of how wonderful it would be if it was his family that had this great building, his family that owned and operated this great business. One day, as he stood gazing at the building in his imagination, he saw a completely different name on the huge sign across the entrance. Now the large letters spelled out his family name. In these case histories, actual names are not used. For the sake of clarity in the story, we will use hypothetical names and assume that the son's family name was Lordard, 
where the sign read F.N. Moth and Company, in imagination, he actually saw the name, letter by letter, in Lordard and Sons. He remained looking at the sign with his eyes wide open, imagining that it read in Lordard and Sons. Twice a day, week after week, month after month, for two years, he saw his family name over the front of that building. He was convinced that if he felt strongly enough that a thing was true, it was bound to be the case. And by seeing in imagination his family name on the sign, which implied that they owned the business, he became convinced that one day they would own it. During this period, he told only one person what he was doing. He confided in his mother, who with loving concern tried to discourage him in order to protect him from what might be a great disappointment. Despite this, he persisted day after day. Two years later, the large company failed and the coveted building was up for sale. On the day of the sale, he seemed no nearer ownership than he had been two years before when he began to apply the law of assumption. During this period, they had worked hard and their customers had implicit confidence in them. However, they had not earned anything like the amount of money required for the purchase of the property nor did they have any source from which they could borrow the necessary capital. Making even more remote their chance of getting it was the fact that this was regarded as the most desirable property in the city, and a number of wealthy business people were prepared to buy it. On the actual day of the sale, to their complete surprise, a man, almost a total stranger, came into their shop and offered to buy the property for them. Due to some unusual conditions involved in this transaction, the Sons family could not even make a bid for the property. They thought the man was joking. However, this was not the case. The man explained that he had watched them for some time, admired their ability, believed in their integrity, and that supplying the capital for them to go into business on a large scale was an extremely sound investment for him. That day, the property was theirs. What the son had persisted in seeing in his imagination was now reality. The hunch of the stranger was more than justified. Today, this family owns not only the particular business referred to, but owns many of the largest industries in the country in which they live. The son, seeing his family name over the entrance of this great building long before it was actually there, was using exactly the technique that produces results. By assuming the feeling that he already had what he desired, by making this a vivid reality in his imagination, by determined persistence, regardless of appearance or circumstance, he inevitably caused his dream to become a reality. Three. This is a story of a very unexpected result of an interview with a lady who came to consult me. One afternoon, a young grandmother, a businesswoman in New York, came to see me. She brought along her nine-year-old grandson, who was visiting her from his home in Pennsylvania. In response to her questions, I explained the law of assumption, describing in detail the procedure to be followed in obtaining an objective. The boy sat quietly, apparently absorbed in a small toy truck, while I explained to the grandmother the method of assuming the state of consciousness that would be hers were her desire already fulfilled. I told her the story of the soldier in camp who each night fell asleep imagining himself to be in his own bed in his own home. When the boy and his grandmother were leaving, he looked up at me with great excitement and said, I know what I want, and now I know how to get it. Surprised, I asked him what it was he wanted. He told me he had his heart set on a puppy. To this, the grandmother vigorously protested, telling the boy that it had been made clear repeatedly that he could not have a dog under any circumstances, that his father and mother would not allow it, that the boy was too young to care for it properly, 
And furthermore, the father had a deep dislike for dogs. He actually hated to have one around. All these were arguments the boy, passionately desirous of having a dog, refused to understand. Now I know what to do, he said. Every night, just as I am going off to sleep, I am going to pretend that I have a dog, and we are going for a walk. No, said the grandmother. That is not what Mr. Neville means. This was not meant for you. You cannot have a dog. Approximately six weeks later, the grandmother told me what was to be an astonishing story. The boy's desire to own a dog was so intense that he had absorbed all that I had told his grandmother of how to attain one's desire, and he believed implicitly that at last he knew how to get a dog. Putting this belief into practice, for many nights, the boy imagined a dog was lying in his bed beside him. In imagination, he petted the dog, actually feeling its fur. Things like playing with the dog and taking it for a walk filled his mind. Within a few weeks, it happened. A newspaper in the city in which the boy lived organized a special program in connection with Kindness to Animals Week. All school children were requested to write an essay on why I would like to own a dog. After entries from all the schools were submitted and judged, the winner of the contest was announced. The very same boy who weeks before in my apartment in New York had told me, now I know how to get a dog, was the winner. In an elaborate ceremony which was publicized with stories and pictures in the newspaper, the boy was awarded a beautiful collie puppy. In relating this story, the grandmother told me that if the boy had been given the money with which to buy a dog, the parents would have refused to do so and would have used it to buy a bond for the boy or put it in a savings bank for him. Furthermore, if someone had made the boy a gift of a dog, they would have refused it or given it away. But the dramatic manner in which the boy got the dog, the way he won the citywide contest, the stories and pictures in the newspaper, the pride of achievement, and the joy of the boy himself all combined to bring about a change of heart in his parents. And they found themselves doing that which they never conceived possible. They allowed him to keep the dog. All this the grandmother explained to me, and she concluded by saying that there was one particular kind of dog on which the boy had set his heart. It was a collie. Four. This was told by the aunt in the story to the entire audience at the conclusion of one of my lectures. During the question period following my lecture on the law of assumption, a lady who had attended many lectures and had had personal consultation with me on a number of occasions rose and asked permission to tell a story illustrating how she had successfully used the law. She said that upon returning home from the lecture the week before, she had found her niece distressed and terribly upset. The husband of the niece who was an officer in the Army Air Force stationed in Atlantic City, had just been ordered, along with the rest of his unit, to active duty in Europe. She tearfully told her aunt that the reason she was upset was that she had been hoping her husband would be assigned to Florida as an instructor. They both loved Florida and were anxious to be stationed there and not to be separated. Upon hearing this story, the aunt stated that there was only one thing to do, and that was to apply immediately the law of assumption. Let's actualize it, she said. If you were actually in Florida, what would you do? You would feel the warm breeze. You would smell the salt air. You would feel your toes sinking down into the sand. Well, let's do all that right now. They took off their shoes and turning out the lights in imagination, they felt themselves actually in Florida feeling the warm breeze, smelling the sea air, pushing their toes into the sand. 48 hours later, the husband received a change of orders. His new instructions were to report immediately to Florida as an Air Force instructor. Five days later, his wife was on a train to join him, while the aunt, 
in order to help her niece to attain her desire, joined in with the niece in assuming the state of consciousness required, she did not go to Florida. That was not her desire. On the other hand, that was the intense longing of the niece. Five. This case is especially interesting because of the short interval of time between the application of this law of assumption and its visible manifestation. A very prominent woman came to me in deep concern. She maintained a lovely city apartment and a large country home. But because the many demands made upon her were greater than her modest income, it was absolutely essential that she rent her apartment if she and her family were to spend the summer at their country home. In previous years, the apartment had been rented without difficulty early in the spring, but the day she came to me, the rental season for summer sublets was over. The apartment had been in the hands of the best real estate agents for months, but no one had been interested even in coming to see it. When she had described her predicament, I explained how the law of assumption could be brought to bear on solving her problem. I suggested that by imagining the apartment had been rented by a person desiring immediate occupancy, and by assuming that this was the case, her apartment actually would be rented. In order to create the necessary feeling of naturalness, the feeling that it was already a fact that her apartment was rented, I suggested that she drift off to sleep that very night, imagining herself not in her apartment, but in whatever place she would sleep were the apartment suddenly rented. She quickly grasped the idea and said that in such a situation, she would sleep in her country home, even though it was not yet open for the summer. This interview took place on Thursday. At nine o'clock the following Saturday morning, she phoned me from her home in the country, excited and happy. She told me that on Thursday night, she had fallen asleep, actually imagining and feeling that she was sleeping in her other bed in her country home, many miles away from the city apartment she was occupying. On Friday, the very next day, a highly desirable tenant, one who met all her requirements as a responsible person, not only rented the apartment, but rented it on the condition that he could move in that very day. Six, only the most complete an intense use of the law of assumption could have produced such results in this extreme situation. Four years ago, a friend of our family asked that I talk with his 28-year-old son, who was not expected to live. He was suffering from a rare heart disease. This disease resulted in a disintegration of the organ. Long and costly medical care had been of no avail. Doctors held out no hope for recovery. For a long time, the son had been confined to his bed. His body had shrunk to almost a skeleton, and he could talk and breathe only with great difficulty. His wife and two small children were home when I called, and his wife was present throughout our discussion. I started by telling him that there was only one solution to any problem, and that solution was a change of attitude. Since talking exhausted him, I asked him to nod in agreement if he understood clearly what I said. This he agreed to do. I described the facts underlying the law of consciousness. In fact, that consciousness was the only reality. I told him that the way to change any condition was to change his state of consciousness concerning it. As a specific aid in helping him to assume the feeling of already being well, I suggested that in imagination, he see the doctor's face expressing incredulous amazement and finding him recovered, contrary to all reason, from the last stages of an incurable disease. That he see him double-checking in his examination and hear him saying over and over, it's a miracle, it's a miracle. He not only understood all this clearly, but he believed it implicitly. He promised that he would faithfully follow this procedure. His wife, who had been listening intently, assured me that she too would diligently use the law of assumption and her imagination in the same way as her husband. 
The following day, I sailed for New York, all this taking place during a winter vacation in the tropics. Several months later, I received a letter saying the son had made a miraculous recovery. On my next visit, I met him in person. He was in perfect health, actively engaged in business and thoroughly enjoying the many social activities of his friends and family. He told me that from the day I left, he never had any doubt that it would work. He described how he had faithfully followed the suggestion I had made to him and day after day had lived completely in the assumption of already being well and strong. Now, four years after his recovery, he is convinced that the only reason he is here today is due to his successful use of the law of assumption. Seven. This story illustrates the successful use of the law by a New York business executive. In the fall of 1950, an executive of one of New York's prominent banks discussed with me a serious problem with which he was confronted. He told me that the outlook for his personal progress and advancement was very dim. Having reached middle age and feeling that a marked improvement in position and income was justified, he had, quote-unquote, talked it out with his superiors. They frankly told him that any major improvement was impossible and intimated that if he was dissatisfied, he could seek another job. This, of course, only increased his uneasiness. In our talk, he had explained that he had no great desire for really big money, but that he had to have a substantial income in order to maintain his home comfortably and to provide for the education of his children in good preparatory schools and colleges. This he found impossible on his present income. The refusal of the bank to assure him of any advancement in the near future resulted in a feeling of discontentment and an intense desire to secure a better position with considerably more money. He confided in me that the kind of job he would like better than anything in the world was one in which he managed the investment funds of a large institution such as a foundation or great university. In explaining the law of assumption, I stated that his present situation was only a manifestation of his concept of himself and declared that if he wanted to change the circumstances in which he found himself, he could do so by changing his concept of himself. In order to bring about this change of consciousness and thereby a change in his situation, I asked him to follow this procedure every night just before he fell asleep. In imagination, was to feel he was retiring at the end of one of the most important and successful days of his life. He was to imagine that he had actually closed a deal that very day to join the organization he yearned to be with and in exactly the capacity he wanted. I suggested to him that if he succeeded in completely filling his mind with this feeling, he would experience a definite sense of relief. In this mood, his uneasiness and discontent would be a thing of the past. He would feel the contentment that comes with the fulfillment of desire. I wound up by assuring him that if he did this faithfully, he would inevitably get the kind of position he wanted. This was the first week of December. Night after night, without exception, he followed this procedure. Early in February, a director of one of the wealthiest foundations in the world, asked this executive if he would be interested in joining the foundation in an executive capacity handling investments. After some brief discussion, he accepted. Today, at a substantially higher income and with the assurance of steady progress, this man is in a position far exceeding all that he had hoped for. Eight. The man and wife in this story have attended my lectures for a number of years. It is an interesting illustration of the conscious use of this law by two people concentrating on the same objective at one time. This man and wife were an exceptionally devoted couple. Their life was completely happy, 
and entirely free from any problems or frustrations. For some time, they had planned to move into a larger apartment. The more they thought about it, the more they realized that what they had their hearts set on was a beautiful penthouse. In discussing it together, the husband explained that he wanted one with a huge window looking out on a magnificent view. The wife said she would like to have one side of the walls mirrored from top to bottom. They both wanted to have a wood-burning fireplace. It was a must that the apartment be in New York City. For months, they had searched for just such an apartment in vain. In fact, the situation in the city was such that the securing of any kind of apartment was almost an impossibility. They were so scarce that not only were there waiting lists for them, but all sorts of special deals, including premiums, the buying of furniture, etc., were involved. New apartments were being leased long before they were completed, many being rented from the blueprints of the building. Early in the spring, after months of fruitless seeking, they finally located one which they seriously considered. It was a penthouse apartment in a building just being completed on Upper Fifth Avenue facing Central Park. It had one serious drawback. Being a new building, it was not subject to rent control, and the couple felt the yearly rental was exorbitant. In fact, it was several thousand dollars a year more than they had considered paying. During the spring months of March and April, they continued looking at various penthouses throughout the city, but they always came back to this one. Finally, they decided to increase the amount that they would pay substantially and made a proposition which the agent for the building agreed to forward to the owners for consideration. It was at this point, without discussing it with each other, each determined to apply the law of assumption. It was not until later that each learned what the other had done. Night after night, they both fell asleep in imagination in the apartment they were considering. The husband, lying with his eyes closed, would imagine that his bedroom windows were overlooking the park. He would imagine going to the window the first thing in the morning and enjoying the view. He felt himself sitting on the terrace overlooking the park, having cocktails with his wife and friends, all thoroughly enjoying it. He filled his mind with actually feeling himself in the penthouse and on the terrace. During all this time, unknown to him, his wife was doing the same thing. Several weeks went by without any decision on the part of the owners, but they continued to imagine as they fell asleep each night that they were actually sleeping in the penthouse. One day, to their complete surprise, one of the employees in the apartment building in which they lived told them that the penthouse there was vacant. They were astonished because theirs was one of the most desirable buildings in the city with a perfect location right on Central Park. They knew there was a long waiting list of people trying to get an apartment in their building. The fact that a penthouse had unexpectedly become available was kept quiet by the management because they were not in a position to consider any applicants for it. Upon learning that it was vacant, this couple immediately made a request that it be rented to them, only to be told that it was impossible. The fact was that not only were there several people on a waiting list for a penthouse in the building, but it was actually promised to one family. Despite this, the couple had a series of meetings with the management, at the conclusion of which the apartment was theirs. The building being subject to rent control, their rental was just about what they had planned to pay when they first started looking for a penthouse. The location, the apartment itself, and the large terrace surrounding it on the south, west, and north was beyond all their expectations. And in the living room, on one side, is a giant window, 15 feet by 8 feet, with a magnificent view of Central Park. One wall is mirrored from floor to ceiling, and there is a wood-burning fireplace. Chapter 24, Failure. This book would not be complete without some discussion of failure and the attempted use of the law of assumption. It is entirely possible that you either have had or will have a number of failures in this respect, many of them in really important matters. 
If having read this book, having a thorough knowledge of the application and working of the law of assumption, you faithfully apply it in an effort to attain some intense desire and fail, what is the reason? If to the question, did you persist enough, you can answer, yes, and still the attainment of your desire was not realized, what is the reason for failure? The answer to this is the most important factor in the successful use of the law of assumption. The time it takes your assumption to become fact, your desire to be fulfilled, is directly proportionate to the naturalness of your feeling of already being what you want to be, of already having what you desire. The fact that it does not feel natural to you to be what you imagine yourself to be is the secret of your failure. Regardless of your desire, regardless of how faithfully and intelligently you follow the law, if you do not feel natural about what you want to be, you will not be it. If it does not feel natural to you to get a better job, you will not get a better job. The whole principle is vividly expressed by the Bible phrase, you die in your sins, John eight twenty four. You do not transcend from your present level to the state desired. How can this feeling of naturalness be achieved? The secret lies in one word, imagination. For example, this is a very simple illustration. Assume that you are securely chained to a large, heavy iron bench. You could not possibly run. In fact, you could not even walk. In these circumstances, it would not be natural for you to run. You could not even feel that it was natural for you to run, but you could easily imagine yourself running. In that instant, while your consciousness is filled with your imagined running, you have forgotten that you are bound. In imagination, your running was completely natural. The essential feeling of naturalness can be achieved by persistently feeling your consciousness with imagination, imagining yourself being what you want to be or having what you desire. Progress can spring only from your imagination, from your desire to transcend your present level. What you truly and literally must feel is that with your imagination, all things are possible. You must realize that changes are not caused by caprice, but by a change of consciousness. You may fail to achieve or sustain the particular state of consciousness necessary to produce the effect you desire. But once you know that consciousness is the only reality and is the sole creator of your particular world and have burnt this truth into your whole being, then you know that success or failure is entirely in your own hands. Whether or not you are disciplined enough to sustain the required state of consciousness in specific instances has no bearing on the truth of the law itself, that an assumption, if persisted in, will harden into fact. The certainty of the truth of this law must remain despite great disappointment and tragedy, even when you, quote-unquote, see the light of life go out and all the world go on as though it were still day. You must not believe that because your assumption fails to materialize, the truth that assumptions do materialize is a lie. If your assumptions are not fulfilled, it is because of some error or weakness in your consciousness. However, these errors and weaknesses can be overcome. Therefore, press on to the attainment of ever higher levels by feeling that you already are the person you want to be. And remember that the time it takes your assumption to become reality is proportionate to the naturalness of being it. Man surrounds himself with the true image of himself. Every spirit builds itself a house, and beyond its house a world, and beyond its world a heaven. Know then that the world exists for you. For you, the phenomenon is perfect. What we are, that only can we see. All that Adam had, all that Caesar could, 
you have and can do. Adam called his house heaven and earth. Caesar called his house Rome. You perhaps call yours a cobbler's trade, a hundred acres of land, or a scholar's garret. Yet line for line and point for point, your dominion is as great as theirs, though without fine name. Build, therefore, your own world. As fast as you conform your life to the pure idea in your mind, that will enfold its great proportion. Emerson Chapter 25 Faith A miracle is the name given by those who have no faith to the works of faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Hebrews 11.1 1. The very reason for the law of assumption is contained in this quotation. If there were not a deep-seated awareness then that which you hoped for had substance and was possible of attainment, it would be impossible to assume the consciousness of being or having it. It is the fact that creation is finished and everything exists that stirs you to hope, and hope, in turn, implies expectation. And without expectation of success, it would be impossible to use consciously the law of assumption. Evidence is a sign of actuality. Thus, this quotation means that faith is the awareness of the reality of that which you assume. A conviction of the reality of things which you do not see. The mental perception of the reality of the invisible. Consequently, it is obvious that a lack of faith means disbelief in the existence of that which you desire. Inasmuch as that which you experience is the faithful reproduction of your state of consciousness, lack of faith will mean perpetual failure in any conscious use of the law of assumption. In all the ages of history, faith has played a major role. It permeates all the great religions of the world. It is woven all through mythology, and yet today it is almost universally misunderstood. Contrary to popular opinion, the efficacy of faith is not due to the work of any outside agency. It is from first to last an activity of your own consciousness. The Bible is full of many statements about faith, of the true meaning of which few are aware. Here are some typical examples. Unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Hebrews 4.2 in this quotation, the us and them make clear that all of us hear the gospel. Gospel means good news. Very obviously, good news for you would be that you had attained your desire. This is always being preached to you by your infinite self. To hear that what you desire does exist, and you need only to accept it in consciousness, is good news. Not mixing with faith means to deny the reality of that which you desire. Hence, there is no profit or attainment possible. O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? Matthew seventeen seventeen. The meaning of faithless has been made clear. Perverse means turned the wrong way. In other words, the consciousness of not being what you want to be. To be faithless, that is, to disbelieve in the reality of that which you assume, is to be perverse. How long shall I be with you means that the fulfillment of your desire is predicated upon your change to the right state of consciousness. It is just as though that which you desire is telling you that it will not be yours until you turn from being faithless and perverse to righteous. As already stated, righteousness is the consciousness of already being what you want to be. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Hebrews 11.27 Egypt 
means darkness, belief in many gods or causes. The king symbolizes the power of outside conditions or circumstances. He is your concept of yourself as already being what you want to be. Enduring as seeing him who is invisible means persisting in the assumption that your desire is already fulfilled. Thus, this quotation means that by persisting in the assumption that you are already the person you want to be, you rise above all doubt, fear, and belief in the power of outside conditions or circumstances, and your world inevitably conforms to your assumption. The Dictionary Definitions of Faith the ascent of the mind or understanding to the truth, unwavering adherence to principle, are so pertinent that they might well have been written with the law of assumption in mind. Faith does not question. Faith knows. Chapter 26 Destiny Your destiny is that which you must inevitably experience. Really, it is an infinite number of individual destinies, each of which, when attained, is the starting place for a new destiny. Since life is infinite, the concept of an ultimate destiny is inconceivable. When we understand that consciousness is the only reality, we know that it is the only creator. This means that your consciousness is the creator of your destiny. The fact is, you are creating your destiny every moment, whether you know it or not. Much that is good and even wonderful has come into your life without your having any inkling that you were the creator of it. However, the understanding of the causes of your experience and the knowledge that you are the sole creator of the contents of your life, both good and bad, not only make you a much keener observer of all phenomena, but through the awareness of the power of your own consciousness, intensify your appreciation of the richness and grandeur of life. Regardless of occasional experiences to the contrary, it is your destiny to rise to higher and higher states of consciousness and to bring into manifestation more and more of creation's infinite wonders. Actually, you are destined to reach the point where you realize that through your own desire, you can consciously create your successive destinies. The study of this book with its detailed exposition of consciousness and the operation of the law of assumption is the master key to the conscious attainment of your highest destiny. This very day, start your new life. Approach every experience in a new frame of mind, with a new state of consciousness. Assume the noblest and the best for yourself in every respect and continue therein. Make believe. Great wonders are possible. Chapter 27 Reverence Never wouldst thou have made anything if thou hadst not loved it. Wisdom 11.24 In all creation, in all eternity, in all the realms of your infinite being, the most wonderful fact is that which is stressed in the first chapter of this book. You are God. You are the I am that I am. You are consciousness. You are the creator. This is the mystery. This is the great secret known by the seers, prophets, and mystics throughout the ages. This is the truth that you can never know intellectually. Who is this you? That it is you, John Jones or Mary Smith, is absurd. It is the consciousness which knows that you are John Jones or Mary Smith. It is your greater self, your deeper self, your infinite being. Call it what you will. The important thing 
is that it is within you. It is you. It is your world. It is this fact that underlies the immutable law of assumption. It is upon this fact that your very existence is built. It is this fact that is the foundation of every chapter of this book. No, you cannot know this intellectually. You cannot debate it. You cannot substantiate it. You can only feel it. You can only be aware of it. By becoming aware of it, one great emotion permeates your being. You live with a perpetual feeling of reverence. The knowledge that your creator is the very self of yourself and would never have made you had he not loved you must fill your heart with devotion, yes, with adoration. One knowing glimpse of the world about you at any single instant of time is sufficient to fill you with profound awe and a feeling of worship. It is when your feeling of reverence is most intense that you are closest to God. And when you are closest to God, your life is richest. Our deepest feelings are precisely those we are least able to express. And even in the act of adoration, silence is our highest praise. This concludes The Power of Awareness by Neville Goddard. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. To inquire about guided revision sessions, please email me at bridget at thetruthaboutliving.com. That's Bridget spelled B-R-I-D-G-E-T-T at thetruthaboutliving.com and I will lovingly and expertly guide you through your own revision process. Talk soon.